Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring TMA with Nick Hamilton, Extra Dose. This is TMA with Nick Hamilton. Wake your goat mouth ass up. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what this is coming down through the audience, but look like he just came out of the basement. TMA with Nick Hamilton. You know what I'm saying? Thank you because because now. Now we bring on our buddy Nick Hamilton. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a new edition of TMA with Nick Hamilton with yours truly here on Sirius XM Slam Radio 145. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be on this planet. Hope everybody got a great start to the brand new week and hope everybody had a great and safe Easter weekend uh, with lots to talk about on this episode. College basketball has a brand new champion. Also, we'll get into the Los Angeles Chargers and their domestic squabbles within ownership. We'll get some insight on that, as well as Major League Baseball takes a bold step in the right direction. Surprisingly, as I spoke about last week on this program, we'll get into that and much more here on TMA with Nick Hamilton. Now, make sure you do one thing for me. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and follow me on Facebook at Nick Hamilton LA and also follow me on Twitter at Nick Hamilton 213. Now, college basketball season has come to a close because the Baylor Bears have defeated the Zags 86-70 on Monday night. It really wasn't a game. Uh, Baylor came out on clicking on all cylinders. They led the game to start out 11-1. Uh, Gonzaga really could not find their rhythm, could not find their way back. I think the, the closest they got was about a 10-point deficit, and they never, never were able to regain consciousness after that. Uh, Baylor played like the number one team. This was a team, even though they were 27, now 28 and, uh, excuse me, 28 and two, they play like the number one team. Although Gonzaga was a number one team, a number one seed, they didn't play like it. They played like a six seed, like they didn't want to be there. And I do believe that Gonzaga was probably stuck on Saturday night after they had a, a game winning three pointer to beat UCLA in overtime, which is one, probably one of the greatest games. I've seen in a long time in college basketball. And the last great game that I saw in college basketball was 95. That happened to be UCLA when Tyus Edney went coast to coast and scored the layup before the, before the buzzer sound off. So that was a great game. Saturday's game was one of the greatest games I have seen against in college basketball when I watched Gonzaga and UCLA battle like two heavyweights in a ring. So if you watch that game, we, got, we were treated to a classic. That's going to be on that should be a 30 for 30 at some point down the road. That's how great that game was because UCLA came back, laid it in, bricked it, or shot it rather, bricked it, got the rebound, laid it in. It was tied at 90 all. Gonzaga forced the ball down the down the floor. Dude shot it from just past half court, banked it in at the three-point line, and then jumped on top of the scorer's table as if he won the fifth championship like he was a late great Kobe Bryant or D-Wade or somebody. And I do believe, I and I wanted to remind them, uh, you have another game to play on Monday night. This is not it. Although you played in a classic, this was not it. And I do believe that Gonzaga was still stuck on Saturday's hype. Baylor, on the other hand, came in hungry. They came in aggressive. They made sure they, they forced turnovers. The ball movement was crispy. The shots were flowing. And again, Gonzaga came in as if they owned the place. And Baylor proved they are the face that runs the place. Gonzaga, I called them the Buffalo Bills of basketball. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. How many times have we seen Gonzaga get closer and closer and closer and still come up shorter than a little man at a urinal? How many times have we seen it? Countless times if you've been following college basketball. And we had a couple of Cinderella's in this tournament. Oral Roberts University was a Cinderella. We've seen Cinderella's before with Butler and uh, other schools like that. We've seen Cinderella's before. Gonzaga was not a Cinderella. They just needed to cut down the net finally. Because I know like everybody else, and I was if you heard on our show last week with Deshaun Tate, he was even saying, look, if Gonzaga doesn't, 
get it done this time. I'm not betting on them. I'm not. I'm not pulling for them any longer. And I don't blame them. Gonzaga had a golden opportunity to end the season on a high note and finally cut down the nets and become national champions. And they still could not do it. Their undefeated season was a wash. It means nothing. You know why it means nothing? Because they didn't get the chip. It's like that. It's like when everybody tried to compare the Warriors again. The, the that that year the Warriors went seventy three and nine, versus when the Bulls went seventy two and ten, and they said, "Oh, the Warriors were a better team." No, they weren't. That seventy three nine that seventy three and nine record was great, but that's all it was. It was just it was just talk because they didn't win the chip. The Bulls, on the other hand, who went seventy two and ten, end up winning the chip. So that's why we call the Bulls arguably one of the greatest teams assembled during that time. Because even though they went 72 and 10, they won the chip. They ran the gauntlet without going to a game seven in the finals, thanks to Michael Jordan. These Baylor Bears, man, they were the truth. They were the truth. I didn't watch much Baylor basketball this year. I didn't watch a whole hell of a lot of college basketball until probably the tournament. And I know everybody's brackets were busted early on. But Gonzaga, I've been keeping my eye on Gonzaga for a while. And the way they beat the brakes off of USC, and the way they, they the dramatic fashion in which they won against UCLA, I'm thinking, well, damn, man, you guys ought to have all the momentum and all the heart you need to go get it done. And still couldn't do it. It's ridiculous. If I'm Gonzaga and I'm the head coach, I'd be sorely disappointed. You got blown out by 16. And you're lucky it wasn't more. Because it could have easily been a 25-point blowout. The way Baylor was coming and at times attacking the rim, shooting the basketball, they could have easily beat them by like 25 points. So if you're Gonzaga, what do you do now? AKA the Buffalo Bills of basketball, of college basketball. What do you do? How do you regroup? Because your conference is weak. So what do you do? Will you ever get the chip? Will it be 100 years, 108 years? When did the Chicago Cubs win their, win their another World Series? What, 108 years? Will it be 108 years before y'all win the national championship? I just want to know. And again, I'm not I'm not ragging on Gonzaga. I'm just disappointed that they couldn't get it done. Because it would have been nice to see Gonzaga finally get it done. I wouldn't have been mad if Gonzaga won a chip this year. Well, I, I would have loved to see USC not get their asses handed to them and be able to face UCLA in the Final Four. It would have been great for the city of LA. But that didn't happen. UCLA would have probably played a better game against Baylor than what Gonzaga did. I'm, I'm, I'm assured of that. If UCLA was able to win on Saturday night, I'd be willing to bet you wouldn't. They would have been blown out by 16 points. Even if Baylor won, it would have been maybe five or six, and that came down to probably free throws, and and maybe you know last couple of possessions, because UCLA played hungrier and played with more passion and heart than Gonzaga did on Monday night. UCLA played that way on Saturday night, what we expected Gonzaga to play like on Monday night. And it was an epic fail. So congratulations to the Baylor Bears. They earned it. They capped off a great season. They only lost two games in the season. So congratulations to the Baylor Bears. Jared Butler, Finished with 22 points and three rebounds for Baylor. Davion Mitchell finished with 15 points, six rebounds. You know, Baylor had, what, four players in double figures? But Gonzaga, I mean, Jalen Suggs, who started off a little slow, ended up finishing with 22 points. So what do you do? Were you guys were you guys even intrigued with the national with the national championship game? Because I surely wasn't. 
it was kind of boring at, at times. I was like, damn, man. Gonzaga's getting mollywhopped by Baylor. This, is not, this, this isn't even a game. Saturday night was a much better game. I was more enthusiastic and, and intrigued by it. The commercials were more interesting at times than the, than the national championship game. I don't know, man. I don't understand it. I just do not understand it. But hey, again, congratulations to the Baylor Bears. They are the 2021 national champions of men's college basketball. So I'm going to show some love to the ladies because the ladies also played on Sunday with the Stanford Cardinals edging the Arizona Wild Lady Wildcats 54-53. Now that was a hell of a game. If you missed that out, if you missed out on that one rather on Sunday, that was a game to go back and rewatch because that was a nail biter. It came all the way down to the final possession. And what I don't understand with the final possession is you only down one. Why would you shoot the three? Why would you be for Why would you allow yourself to be forced to shoot the three when all you needed was a bucket to win? I don't know if that falls on the head coach. I don't know if that falls on the player not being able to execute. But Arizona could have won that game. But it was a great game nonetheless. It was a great game nonetheless. And I just look at the fact that these ladies play hard. Um, what can I say? It was a great game. I mean, I, I was really pulling for Don Staley in South Carolina to make it. And I know they made it to the Final Four and came up short against Arizona. That was another great game. But I'm just a Don Staley fan. So I, I was really pulling for her to get to the national championship and her to cap off that great season that she's had through ups and downs and the tragedies and triumphs that she had to go through with the injuries and things like that to be able to cap off a season with the championship. But my hat's off to the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, they played a great game. You know, I saw Chanae Gumake and Neko Gumake celebrating. Obviously, Stanford is their alma mater, uh, so props to them. But, you know, uh, it was a great, it was a great uh, college basketball season for the ladies as well. I mean, they, they've endured so much, so much adversity went throughout the ladies' tournament. The, I mean, how much the NCAA just mishandled the ladies when it came to their tournament. I mean, when it comes to the, the workout equipment and not being able to get the respect that they deserve and that they fought for and earned, you know, all the way to crowning, finally crowning a national championship, excuse me, a national champion rather than women's basketball with the Stanford Cardinals. So an incredible season for these ladies. And I hope that once as these vaccinations and people continue to wear their masks and continue to keep their social distancing, that we can continue to get past this pandemic and things will go back to a new normal, not the old normal, but to somewhat of a new normal where we can get a schedule back for college athletics so that we can fully enjoy college athletics like we are supposed to with the fans back in the stands, with the women being able to play in their own houses, and to be able to to be, get the respect that they need and deserve throughout the tournament. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. All right, y'all, coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to get into the Los Angeles Chargers and their domestic squabbles when it comes to ownership, brother versus sister versus siblings. Sounds like a WWE event, right? Well, we'll get into why that's all going down and what is to come as a result of all this bickering. You're listening to TMA with Nick Hamilton here on Sirius XM, Slam Radio 145. Stay tuned. Yo, what's up? Baby, let's go. This is Tua Tungle by Lowen. Yo, Sway Calloway. This is Spice Adams. This is Michael, the playmaker everywhere. What's up? This is Grok, and you're listening to Slam, Slam Radio. Radio. Sirius XM. Yeah. All right, everybody, welcome back to TMA with Nick Hamilton here on SiriusXM, Slam Radio 145. Make sure you hit me up on Instagram at Nick Hamilton LA as well as Facebook and on Twitter at Nick Hamilton 213. Now, recently we heard the reports about the Los Angeles Chargers and their dilemma or internal dilemma between ownership 
Uh, obviously, Dean Spanos being the owner and his sister are going back and forth. One wants to keep the team. One wants to sell the team. Who will win out? Do they have a actually do they have a real case? Uh, we've seen the reports as far as this sister actually retaining the lawyer services of the same uh, individual that represented Steve Ballmer, also represented Lakers owner Jeannie Buss. So to, hear, to bring on someone who knows the Chargers in and out, I like to call him the mayor of the Chargers. He is a great reporter for Sports Illustrated, gives you the ins and outs of what's going on with the Chargers on the field and off the field. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome the one and only Fernando Ramirez. What's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, man, I appreciate that intro. I mean, honestly, I if I was WWE, I'd hire you real quick. To, when the guys come out and everything, I'd, I'd hire you right hey. then and there. Vince McMahon should, should uh, you know what, it's Triple H these days. Triple H should place a call and try and get you to come in. Hey, man, well, as long as the check clears. That's all that counts. <laughs> that's all that matters. As long as the check clears. So, obviously, we know it's the offseason for the NFL, but when it comes to the Los Angeles Chargers, there really is no offseason, especially when you hear uh, reports such as these. Uh, when it comes to Diaz Spanos uh, Barbarian, who is the sister of the controlling owner of Dean Spanos, uh, she is actually looking to t- try to take ownership or at least get the controlling interest of the ownership to be able to get the team to be sold at some point in the near future. Uh, because according to the report, uh, the team continues to occur uh, more and more debt, as she liked to call it. Uh, that even though the team is worth $2.6 billion since their departure from San Diego to Los Angeles. Uh, what do you th- what do you make of these reports? Were you surprised at any point when it came out? I was surprised because it was on April Fool's Day. <laughs> and I was like, is this real? And then like I make I, I made a couple of calls and yeah, no, it was real. And it was just surprising because of the of the timing of it. I mean, we're into free agency. The draft is in a couple of weeks. And it was just, wow, okay, so this is happening for real. So I spoke to a special counsel of the team, um, Mark Fabiani, who's been around the uh, charge organization for years. So the basic way that I understand this, Nick, is right now the the kids control the kids. (laughs) They're older kids, but uh, the Spanish (laughs) children control 60% of the team each individual has 15% ownership of the team. What Dia is trying to go for is the parents left 36% ownership of the team. That 36% is then going to be divided into four, which is 9%. So each kid is going to have 24% ownership of the team. Now, what she is trying to, what she is trying to do is, She's trying to go after that 36%. Her and Dean control the parents' estate, basically. So mm. basically, the reason why the estate has not been, the money has not been uh, given out and all that for from the estate is because the IRS is still trying to see how much they're going to tax them for everything because it's, it's not just the chargers. It's a construction company. It's also other endeavors that they have. Now, Mr. Fabiani told me that, the money that is in the estate and everything that yes, they do have some debt right now, but as soon as that money is liquidated and it comes to, to Dean and, and the other, uh, the other siblings, uh, that money is going to, uh, that money is going to completely knock out the, whatever, whatever debt they have right now and that it'll be fine. They're going to, he said, Alex Spano set this up carefully so that the family could be set for the rest of their lives. And even f- further generations could be set now. What DS challenging is um, is that there that Dean has no plan in LA that he is in a sense kind of failed in in his since he's gotten to LA that fans are not going to games and obviously this last year doesn't count because of uh, the COVID pandemic but right. basically she's trying to challenge for that thirty six percent that thirty six percent because her and Dean are the trustees of the estate so mm-hmm. they're both in so. But then Dean and his siblings obviously sent back a rebuttal saying, we're, we're willing to buy you out. Now, Mr. Fabiani told me that they're, that they're willing to buy her. So the way this works is they could buy her out and buy her shares out. The interesting part is, Nick, where there's smoke, there's fire. So there has to be something going on. If she is willing, oh, if she would have just gotten a, a, a basic lawyer or whatever, okay, man, who she got? And the way those other two, when you talk about Steve Ballmer and Jeannie Buss, what they were able to do with that lawyer makes me think that she is trying to go for the home run shot. 
She is trying to get that team sold. And I mean, we heard the name Jeff Bezos. Uh, I mean, Jeff Bezos has more money than than uh, I think the state of California does. Um, so obviously, this is going to be very interesting uh, to see kind of how this gets put together and how they move forward with this because it's going to be a long battle. And uh, Dean and his siblings better be ready because it's it's gonna it's gonna take a while and it's gonna be one of those things where either. Uh, anybody could really win but according to mr fabiani it's it's uh it's business as usual and this won't change anything that the team is doing and anything that they're going to do moving forward well you said a lot so i want to unpack a few things that you mentioned no no it's great man a lot Um, of information I, i was i was my head was spinning when uh when he broke everything down for me no that's great i mean mark let's 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 put everything in perspective. Now, I'm not here to discredit Mark Fabiani because obviously he's a part of the team and the information that he's disseminated to you where you're able to let us know what's going on with that. But let's also keep it in perspective that Mark Fabiani is in the favor of Dean Spanos, who is actually fighting against his sister, Dia. So let's keep that in perspective as well. Now, it may not have anything to do with what's going on right now in the current setting where we are now but eventually as you said i agree with you where there's smoke there is some fire and the type of lawyer that she is retained that also helped clippers owner steve Ballmer get through some situations that he had to get through as well as lakers owner genie bus dealing with her family so to me this really resonates more about a genie bus type of situation because she had to fight her brother as well as her siblings and get them all on the same page and then the nba board of governors had to come in to, to aid that. So do you see the NFL at some point, even though DF filed a 156-page motion, and as you said, where there's smoke, there's fire, do you see the NFL at some point coming to the aid of DIA and saying, okay, Dean, look, you haven't fulfilled these types of requirements. We're going to need you to start to put this team up for sale. It's going to depend on what Jerry Jones and some of these top, like, some of the top owners of the NFL are going to want to do if this drags on and this becomes not an, not an embarrassment, but if this starts to weigh a little bit, the NFL owners could step in. But so basically Nick, the reason why this is happening also, and I forgot to mention this is that there's no majority owner when it comes to the chargers. It, mm-hmm. it is split evenly between the siblings. So there's no, there's no, um, there's no majority owner for a reason. He wanted all four kids to have equal control of this team. Now, that's where everything gets really interesting because no one has a leg up. Dean and his siblings can say all they want that they want to keep this team and everything. But it's gonna. It, it, what's really going to happen is if the NFL does step in, it'll get really interesting. I just don't know to what level they'll want to step in, but this is kind of like – a fraternity in a sense when you come up uh, when it comes to owning a team and if the nfl really does want to step in and say you know what this is this has gone on far along if the nfl feels like they haven't done enough in la they could potentially tell them you know what it's time uh it's time so it'll be really interesting to see to what point we get to with the nfl the spanos family and uh and basically the the legal system but Diaz Diaz coming out swinging. She's 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 not playing around. Oh no, she's not playing around whatsoever. And she she makes some valid points. When you look at obviously the estimated worth of when it and I when you and I have talked about this ever since we've been covering the team when it was in San Diego and then they made the transfer to Los Angeles. That you can't say it, it San Diego. Can, say what? You can't say San Diego. Oh, okay. Well, when it was in San Diego, <laughs> and then it goes to Los Angeles. For those in San Diego that may be listening to this broadcast, um, you know I don't give a damn. No, um, I know you but we said that the estimated worth was going to increase because it's in the second largest market. The problem I'm looking at is the fact that, okay, Stan Kroenke, who owns the Los Angeles Rams, who also owns the property along with Stackbridge, Stockbridge Capital Group, who owns the, the arena uh, on the stadium, rather, SoFi Stadium, the, the Hollywood Park property and things of that nature. They had to make sure that Dean was going to pay rent into a stadium. It couldn't be a 50-50 venture. So when I look at the Los Angeles Chargers and I look at – I've been in Los Angeles pretty much my whole life. I know that they're Raider fans. I know that they're Rams fans, especially when the Rams made their comeback from St. Louis back in 2016. And then, obviously, them going to the Super Bowl increased their popularity a little bit more. And then SoFi Stadium obviously increased their popularity more. 
I have personally have not seen a whole lot of Charger fans. That's not to say that there aren't Charger fans in Los Angeles, but there aren't a lot of Charger fans that I have seen since they've migrated to Los Angeles. Do you think that is a part of the reason why Dia wants to sell? Because she's that she's not seeing the revenue that was projected or she's not seeing the impact that was projected when they made the decide to make the move to LA from San Diego. It could be, but I I think the the first three seasons in LA was kind of a smokescreen in a sense. They were in that small stadium. And I mean, I remember I would look up tickets. Um, I would just look up tickets for my own curiosity. And it was expensive. I mean, it was $300 per seat. A family of four would have spent over $1,000 to go to the game. On top of that, you have to add in a lot of the extras like parking, like food, beverage, all that. So it did get pretty pricey. Now, the one game that really stood out to me was that Rams Chargers game in 2018. The stadium was 55-45 in my opinion when they played at the Coliseum, there was a lot of Charger fans. And I remember I was going up to Charger fans and I was like, hey, do you go to the games at, at uh, the stuff? I still call it the stuff up. I don't care what <laughs> dignitive sports, whatever, health complex thing, whatever. Um, I remember I asked them, do you guys go there? And they said no. And I'm like, why not? And the gentleman turns to me and he says, look at my family. I have a family of five. I can't wow. afford to go to that stadium. He's like, right now, I paid $35 for five tickets, $35 each for five tickets. And we ate at the, I think they had eaten across the street or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, we came in here and we're not spending that much money. Parking was $30. So it's beautiful. It's amazing for us. And I'm like, oh, wow. And so I was like, when they build that new stadium, will you guys go? So like, if the Chargers have uh, reasonable seating, yeah, we will definitely go. We're Charger fans. The thing is, that place is too expensive. So I think there is, but I think what the Charger kind of banking on, in a sense, is number 10. I, I, I think, and this is what I had told you last year, Nick, I remember, mm-hmm. I think number 10 is a game changer for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. He, you're, I think, you're speaking about Justin Herbert. Obviously. Justin Herbert. Sorry, I hadn't mentioned his name. Sorry. Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert is a football player. We know that, but he could be more for this franchise. If Justin Herbert can take this team deep and be one of the top quarterbacks, because I mean, I've been hearing people think that Justin Herbert and pretty soon is going to be up there with Patrick Mahomes. They feel like it's going to be a two cat race when it comes to, to um, the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So it's going to be really interesting. If Justin Herbert really ascends this year, he's really going to have the weight of a franchise on his back. Because I feel like they're kind of banking on him to kind of bring them back into, hey, like, fill out the stadium because everybody wants to go see number 10 play. Now, I know that in Eugene, Oregon, there's a lot of Duck fans who have become Charger fans. So mm-hmm. in L.A., though, it is going to be tough. The thing is, and I wrote about this last week when I wrote the the piece, you have LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis. You have... You just have Corey or um, what's his name? Mookie Betts. You just have superstars on so many different levels in L.A. It's it, it's difficult to, to compete with that. And the Chargers may have something with Justin Herbert, but really I think they're putting out and, – and that's what I feel like Dia is saying. They're putting their hope on certain things when there's no really plan moving forward. And that's the way I kind of see it as – I don't see it like that, but like I just I see where he is coming from with her message. Well, the interesting part about the, the Los Angeles, and I've said this time and time again, LA is a Dodger and a Laker town, and everybody else, third, fourth, whatever level you want to put them on. Um, you do you you mentioned you do have LeBron James. I think Justin Herbert is 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 incredible. I think he could be a star in this league. I think he needs to be. I think there's some things where he can be a little bit more marketable, uh, being that he is in Los Angeles. But if he if he chooses to, uh, you know, obtain those those opportunities, then, yeah, he definitely can help the Chargers. But the thing about the Chargers is the fact that we've always we've said this too, the fact the name, the Chargers, who, who everybody knows they reside in San Diego for over almost 60 years. Um, I think Dean would have been better off retiring the name in San Diego, moving the team and then creating a brand new team name and incorporating the people of Los Angeles to be more a part of it. And then possibly people would maybe would have gravitated towards it uh, a little bit more than what they've have already. Obviously the new stadium, you know, fans coming to the new stadium at SoFi this coming season, I think will, will help matters somewhat uh, because of, you know, ticket sales, PS sales and things of that nature. 
uh, when the reports have been they have been struggling with PSLs, unlike the Rams, who have been knocking it out the ballpark when it comes to their PSLs and advertising things of that nature. Um, but when I look at the possible, you know, let's say that the the the, the Chargers do sell, whether they sell next season, whether they sell in 2024, as reported by uh, saying that Dean is going to, you know, plan to sell the team by 2024. Two names that I've heard circle around that team. One, obviously, the report came out, and I've heard this months ago, so I'm just saying it now. But Jeff Bezos obviously is one, and then Steve Ballmer is another name that I heard. Uh, both have deep pockets. Both have enough money they can buy a few teams in the NFL uh, as far as what their net, what their worth is. Who do you see? If, if, if Dean Spanos decides to sell the team, who is the NFL leaning more towards? Would it be Steve Ballmer or would it be Jeff Bezos in your estimation? I think it would be Jeff Bezos just because Steve Ballmer has control of the Clippers right now. And I know in the NFL, I think you cannot, you have to, I think Kroenke had to, he's the owner of the Denver, the Colorado Rapids. And I think the Denver Nuggets, if I'm not mistaken. And Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche, sorry. He had mm-hmm. to put that in his, uh, under his kids' names because uh, in the NFL, you can't own obviously a team. Uh, or in the NFL, you can only own basically that team. So he would have to send control of the Clippers to um, to another one of his kids, and he'd have to gain uh, control. Uh, my bad. That's what St- uh, Stan Kroenke owns. So Stan Kroenke had to put that under his kids' names because they had to assume full control, and he has full control of the Rams. So if Ballmer wanted to do that, he'd have to give control of the Clippers to his uh, kid, and he would gain full control. Now – I believe that if either one of them owns a team, first thing they're going to do is get football minds to control the team. Dean mm-hmm. has his son, John Span. That's that's the thing is that I wonder how all this is going to play out because there's a lot of Spanoses around the Chargers organization. They, yeah. There's a lot of them. So that's going to be the interesting part about this whole thing is if if they end up selling the team, I mean, I mean they have the money and everything, but now it's going to be – I feel like Jeff or uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Bezos or Mr. Ballmer, because they have a lot of money. I can't I, I'm not on a first name basis with them. Um, so I, I feel like they would get the right football minds to come in here and be like, you know what? Let's do this. They're going to bring guys in and they're going to make they're going to make swift changes. They're going to they're going to they're going to try and compete for the championship because Jeff Bezos and Steve Ballmer are winners. They want to win. Balmer did it right now with the Clippers. He got Kawhi Leonard. He got uh, Paul George. He's gotten other players because he wants to compete for a championship. I'm sure Be- Jeff Bezos would want to do that too. Remember, I mean, before they got their, made their money, these guys, uh, these guys, from making their money to now, they're winners. They want right. to win, so they would bring a different mentality to the, to the Chargers organization. And and I'm not saying that Dean and his family don't want to win, but it's just different when you have this kind of money. So it, it would be really interesting to see the way they would change the organization. But like I said, I mean, if they come into that situation and they see they have number 10, which is Justin Herbert, they're going to be like, oh, we can do anything. Because, I mean, literally, that kid gives you the com- – this the, number 10 gives you the confidence that you can do anything. But, Nick, I don't know. I, I've studied L.A. a little bit, and I kind of – I mean, from my time covering L.A. sports and stuff, and I've noticed, and I feel like, it's still not a Rams or Chargers town, and I feel like the first team that brings a Super Bowl to the city, I feel like will really gain the city's love and admiration. And I'm not saying at a I'm not saying at a Laker or a, a Dodger level because that was just that's just years of doing that. That's right. that your grandpa growing up as a Laker fan, and now you're a Laker fan. Your kid is about to be a Laker fan. That's that's different love that you. And same with the Dodgers. That's love that you can't replicate almost. But I feel like there'd be a certain love when it came to that if the Chargers or the Rams won a Super Bowl. But yeah, going back to that, I feel like Jeff and and I, again, sorry, Mr. Bezos and Mr. Ballmer are winners, and that's what they're going to want to put out on the field. Yeah, I, the thing with the NFL is funny because it's all about relationships, and the fact that Steve Ballmer has literally has a good relationship with with Stan Kroenke, who is a major power player um, in the NFL when it comes to ownership, and also to uh, Jeff Bezos does have deep pockets. So not, they don't have to, the NFL does not have to deal with a bunch of owners. They can deal with yeah. one owner. Same thing with Steve Ballmer. They can deal with one owner. Obviously, as you said, I agree with you. 
put some great football minds around the team. Maybe not maybe not immediately because I think these guys are very smart. They like to do their due diligence. They'll oh, let yeah. the team go as usual maybe the first year or so, see what happens, and then in the offseason start making gradual changes to, to improve the team. I think Steve Bump, to me, I think Steve Ballmer would make more sense only because he's already established in the city of Inglewood where the team plays. Obviously, he has a good relationship with, with, with Stan Kroenke. Uh, he recently purchased the form about seems like almost a year ago now. Yeah. Um, now he's going to be the, he's going to build the Clippers facility right across from so far in Hollywood Park. They're, they're scheduled to still break ground in the summer of 2021. Uh, but Jeff Bezos is an interesting character because will they be able to. I don't want to say con, not control, but will they be able to have. Conversations with Bezos and will he be able to listen to the owners? I think Steve Ballmer being an owner already He's gives more him some experience player. right and it gives him some some experience and that's i'm not counting out jeff bezos because i think jeff bezos if he wants to be an owner he's going to be an owner at some point so you're saying that um, jerry jones would get jealous and and maybe there could be a little no beef there. Nah, I know. no 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 because listen i i, I, <laughs> nah, think, I, I think i think the ownership is going to be interesting because and it could be a third person we have no idea that comes out of the clear blue sky we have no idea but if I'm gonna, if we're gonna mention these two individuals, and I'm weighing the pros and cons of each, if Dean Spanos decides to sell the the team or is forced to sell the team sooner than later, I think these two guys, the, the team will be in good hands. I think the league will be in good hands because these guys are big name guys. You're a number two market. You got a, you already have a billionaire in Stan Kroenke as one of the owners in Los Angeles. Why not add another billion? I think Stan Kroenke would be happy because now he can actually split. He can actually, he can get an owner that can afford to stay in that stadium. And I, and again, I don't begrudge Dean Spanos. I was one of the people that that defended Dean Spanos for moving from San Diego to LA cuz I'm like, look, it's a business move. If yeah. if somebody tells you you bought a house that was worth $300,000 at one time and if you if you literally move your house That's not in California, right? You're talking about like Texas or No, or I'm just saying Tennessee cuz I don't think you're going to buy a house in California. No, no, no. no. <laughs> not 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 a, not in a good area. But I'm saying just as an yeah, example, yeah, yeah. let's say yeah. Let's say you you buy you buy a house for three hundred thousand, right? Okay, you got a house for three hundred thousand. Now, somebody tells you, "Hey, Fernando, you can triple the value of your house if you simply just move your house and put it on this piece of land in this particular area." What are you going to do? You're going to move the house, even though you even though you have your neighbors, you have kids that have their friends. You're looking at it from a business perspective, like, look, you know how much money I can. And then if I want to sell a house, let's say in five years from now, if I want to sell a house, it's going to be worth even more. Yeah, the team is valued at two point six, but they're going to they, they could easily sell it for three and maybe maybe even a little bit more than that. So I mean, literally, you can you can sell this team. I mean, Carolina was sold for about three, right? If not more, I think Carolina was sold for a little bit more. So I mean, heck, if anything, you sell it for four, and each each sibling gets for a billion dollars each, and there you go. Like you could split it up and do your thing. There you but go. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. I wonder if Steve Ballmer with making the practice facility for the Clippers up in and you know what's funny is that you said that like Steve Ballmer, uh, Inglewood, the Chargers, and everything. Man, I, I started playing so many marketing scenarios in my head just based off of what the Clippers and Lakers or the Clippers and the Chargers could definitely do together. Uh, I wonder if their practice facility would both be there in Inglewood. I mean, basically half football, half uh, basketball and kind of do some play something off of that. But no, definitely uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Now, again, like I said, Mr. Fabiani told me that uh, the, nothing the most she can the most she can get is get bought out by her siblings. But it just it feels a little bit different and it feels a little bit more real than it has in years. Because, I mean, you know this, Nick, I mean, covering the team, there's been rumors about this for years and and the uh, possibility of him selling. Now, the thing is that's interesting is in by 2026, I believe, or 2027 or 2028, I can't remember which one, he has to pay the relocation fee. That's $650 million. So it's interesting that they're bringing out 2020, because I've heard 2024 before, and 2024 is literally three years before he has to pay it. So that would be really interesting if he sold the team and then had whatever owner comes in. I mean, for... Mr. Bezos or Mr. Ballmer, that's an easy check away. Uh, they could pay the relocation fee and be like, okay, dude, you're done. Like, here you go. Here's a relocation fee money. We're done. We're good. Let's move on with our franchise. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. But 
man, this is this is something else. Honestly, it's it's like I said. I mean, there's where there's smoke, there's fire. So this is going to get really interesting, really fast. I believe just because of how quickly is Dia going to want to move uh, with this, and how quickly is her lawyer going to be um, moving this uh, this basically needle in a haystack in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be interesting, and we're we're far from done. We're just in the beginning stages, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Fernando Ramirez, great reporter who covers the Los Angeles Chargers through and through for Sports Illustrated. Please let everyone know where they can continue to keep up with you and find all your great work. It's incredible, Nick. That thank you for having me on. It's incredible that no no Keenan Allen mentioned, no Mike Williams, no no draft, no nothing. I mean, this is we'll this get into that later. No, I know, but this is just a story that's kind of snowballed and really really taken off but uh i again i appreciate you having me on i can be found on at real f ramirez on both instagram and twitter but definitely this is this is some craziness but i again nick i truly appreciate you having me on and it's always fun uh when i come on here hey man well thank you for coming on thank you for your insight and we'll definitely talk to you soon all right y'all coming up on the other side of the break major league baseball takes a giant step forward and takes a stand finally what will the ultimate decision be when it comes to the 2021 MLB All-Star Game? We'll get into that and more on the other side of the break. You're checking out TMA with Nick Hamilton here on Sirius XM, Slam Radio 145. Stay tuned. This is Sirius XM 145, Slam Radio. All right, everybody. Welcome back to TMA with Nick Hamilton here on Sirius XM, Slam Radio 145. Like a thank uh, my guest who was on in the previous segment, Fernando Ramirez from Sports Illustrated, giving us some insight on what's going on in the latest saga with the ownership struggles of the Los Angeles Chargers. Will they sell? Will they stay? Uh, if you missed any portion of that broadcast, make sure you download or subscribe to us on all streaming platforms uh, at TMA with Nick Hamilton. Now, I want to get into a little bit of a segment that I talked about last week, and now there's been some updates, and we're talking about Major League Baseball. Now, kudos to Major League Baseball. I don't say this too often, but kudos to Major League Baseball for making the right decision as it pertains to the 2021 All-Star Game and the Major League Baseball draft being removed out of the state of Georgia because of the voting laws that were passed a couple of weeks back dealing with voter suppression. Now, uh, I spoke with uh, Dodgers manager Dave Roberts about it. Early on, if you want to hear about that conversation, make sure you check me out on Instagram at Nick Hamilton LA. I have the full video and audio there. But the interesting part is that Rob Manford, who is the Major League Baseball commissioner, spoke with several managers, including Dave Roberts. And I'm guessing because he wanted to get a pulse of what these managers felt as far as possibly removing the game or if they kept the game there, would they still be a part of it? We all know what Dave Roberts said to the L.A. Times, as I explained to you all last week, uh, that he would he was definitely thinking about skipping the event uh, if he was able if he was uh, going to be managing the game. He was going to think about skipping the event because you cannot suppress uh, the rights of voters, especially in the black and brown communities, which he's absolutely correct on. So and I said last week, I said, Major League Baseball, if you want to do the right thing and stand with the people you will not have your all-star game or any type of uh, of uh, any type of, of you know games or the draft or anything of that nature. You will not have it in the state of Georgia. And sure enough, the announcement was made last week as it pertains uh, to their movement of the game. And I applaud them for that. Uh, that was a major step. We know we know uh, Governor Kemp, who was the governor of Georgia, came out with a strong rebuttal saying that. You know, he was disappointed. He was upset, but it's not going to stop them. It's not going to change his mind whatsoever. Yeah, it's not going to may not change your mind right now because it's not directly affecting you right now economically. But as it gets the times get closer to that revenue, that's going to be lost as it pertains to not having a game there. Also, there's several other corporations that are planning to leave and not uh, have any type of business dealings with the state of Georgia. Because of this voting law. Now, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, who is the mayor of Atlanta, said it takes a lot of jobs away from the people in the city of Atlanta, on the outskirts of Atlanta. People that have been planning to uh, be, participate in the game from an economic standpoint. Some of the small businesses that planned on being a part of it or capitalizing as a result of the of the, of the all-star game and the, the, the home run derby and 
all of those all of those uh, uh those things that come along with it not doing it anymore so it hurts them um stacy abrams echoed the same sentiments so i'm i'm applauding major league baseball it's sad because yes the people are affected by it the people are the ones that lose out the small businesses the medium-sized businesses the people that wanted to participate you know people that deal with the concessions and things of that nature those are the ones that lose out but you have to take a strong stance and i didn't to be honest with you i wasn't sure if major league baseball was going to pull their game out of the state of georgia i wasn't sure not at all so i'm glad they did and i give credit where it's due now where where will you move the game good question i put on twitter recently if you look look me up on twitter at nick hamilton 213 i said the game should go to kansas city i think you should move the game to kansas city for a multitude of reasons one obviously a change the venue but two because the Negro Leagues, who celebrated their 100th anniversary of the of their game, wasn't really celebrated because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now here's an opportunity for you to highlight the Negro Leagues, which Major League Baseball recently accepted the Negro League Baseball records into their facility, into their record books. So now that Major, uh, excuse me, the Negro League Baseball Museum, that's headed up by Bob Kendrick, who's done a phenomenal job making sure that the awareness of the Negro League Baseball uh, Museum as well as Negro Leagues have been highlighted. They're doing something called Negro Leagues One-on-One, which basically continues to highlight the stories, the efforts, the triumphs, the tragedies, everything that you can imagine when it comes to Negro League Baseball. It's right there. So now Major League Baseball has another opportunity to highlight the heroes of the Negro Leagues, which some of them eventually moved into Major League Baseball, the Jackie Robinsons, the Kurt Floods of the world, the Roy Campanellas, and several others uh, that had an opportunity to do that. So I think you could hit two birds with one stone. You could also highlight the game itself as far as the All-Star game uh, being in Kansas City um, and then the festivities that surround it. So I think to me, I think it would behoove Major League Baseball to move the game to Kansas City and highlight those two things if you're truly serious because the fight is going to continue and yeah there's going to be some backlash when it comes to major league baseball and they're going to be politicians that are going to try to come against it because of the decisions that they've made but you know what it was a decision that needed to be made and they finally stood for the fans which are the people because without fans you don't have a game and i'm glad that major league baseball and rob manfred realized that you don't have a game whatsoever. So let's see where they end up moving it. There's been no announcement of where they're going to relocate the game to. Uh, but we all know we're in the midst of the season. Uh, there's going to be a, obviously there's a full 162 game season plus playoffs, which I think is great. I'm loving that baseball is, is back to some type of normalcy uh, when it comes to the, the things that we've had to endure as, as a country. And, it's just good to see that organizations are taking steps in the right direction and they're not succumbing to the pressures of what I call the evil empire or what is considered those who want to suppress people's voices and their votes at the same time. And I had I, and I had some really ignorant ass people hit me up on on social media and ask me what's wrong with the law. And I would tell them, you know, I was being nice. I say, hey, well, you know what? The law suppresses the voices of black and brown people. But, you know, you need to educate yourself on the law. I was actually being nice. Yes, me. I was actually being nice and trying to engage with people who had what I considered ignorant ass comments. And then they had the audacity to come back to me and say, well, I already know about the law and it's no big deal. What's the big deal about asking for ID? See, that's how stupid you are. And that's how stupid you sound, because if you thought it was just about showing ID, it's, it's go, it goes deeper than that. This is why I said initially you need to educate yourselves. And some people are blocked because I don't have time to deal with their foolishness. But this is why I'm saying you need to educate yourself because what the media will come out with or what people are paying commercials or pamphlets or, you know, stuff on social media to be broadcasted is what they want to be broadcasted to support their position. They don't want to bring out both sides of the coin and let the people decide if this law 
is a terrible law or not. But if you read and you study it and you and you grasp it and you understand it and don't act like you have you're a grown person with a third grade education, you will see how bad and how terrible this law and racist this law truly is in the state of Georgia. And it's not going to stop just in the state of Georgia, ladies and gentlemen. This is just a testing grounds of, of sorts. Eventually, it's going to spread across the country or they're going to try to spread this across the country. And that's going to be the problem. This is why you have LeBron James with the more than a vote campaign. You have several other organizations trying to make sure that people were educated on their rights to vote. Who has the right to vote? Does their vote count where their vote goes? How is their vote counted? All of these things that were educating people, not telling you who you should vote for, but the fact that you should vote. And, and if you do decide to vote, here's how your vote is going to be measured. And here's the, the, the rights that you have when it comes to voting and being and standing in the ballot box. So these are the things that are being ignored and overlooked by the masses of those in power that don't want you to know that. And I'm not here to be political. This is I keep this as a sports show. But and there are often times when politics bleeds into sports. And I know there's some people and some managers in baseball that don't want to discuss this this rule. And that's their that's their right. I think I, I wish they would discuss it more because I think the more you voice about these situations, the more attention it gets and the more recognition it gets. And therefore, things can start to change because when you start to bring out the conversations when it comes to these types of situations, I think it, it, it brings dialogue and it also raises awareness on what should be and should not be as it pertains to certain aspects that we have in this country. Voting being one of them. So I really I, I know that some people feel like ah, if I talk about it, it's going to open up a can of worms and da da da. And I get all of that. But think about this. If your state was in that position. Would, and your and your people were suffering as a result of not being heard at the voting booth. Would you want to speak on it then? Just a question you may want to ask yourself in the mirror. And then think about that. And then the next time some some reporter, not necessarily myself, but some other reporter ask you about it, maybe you're more inclined to talk about it and bring awareness to something that's wrong. Just some food for thought. Y'all do the dishes. All right, y'all. That's it. That is it for my show this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you missed any portion of this broadcast, make sure you download and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms at TMA with Nick Hamilton. I'd like to thank the great staff over at Slam Radio, everybody at SiriusXM, and everybody at Nightcast Media for bringing this show together. I can thank all of you for taking time out of your busy schedules for listening. We will be back next week, same time, every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. And it will be podcasted everywhere fine podcasts are brought to the platform. All right, y'all, make sure you follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Nick Hamilton LA, also on Twitter at Nick Hamilton 213. Until next week, take care, stay sharp. I'm out. The views and opinions expressed on TMA with Nick Hamilton, Extra Dose, are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.